Growing up, my parents would often listen to NPR in the car, pretty much all the time. And they're not here right now, so I can talk about them more. Um, and so if we were going to school, it would be morning edition. And I figured out morning edition pretty quickly. It was the edition in the morning. Um, <laughs> the afternoon one was trickier. Um, and I remember distinctly being, when I was about 10 years old. And so if you, you know, the afternoon, NPR is called All Things Considered. as the bum, 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 bum. So too much. I've listened to it too much. Um, but I was, remember, I think we're driving to Taco Cabana to do dinner on a day when I, I'm sure, like those were usually days when my parents had really hard days at work. So it was like, all right, we're just getting chicken. And so it was good. Like I was completely oblivious to it. I was 10. I was just like, why, am I, why can't I watch my MacGyver? And going, yep, that was me. And I was thinking, like, all things, welcome to all things considered. And I realized, wait a minute, all things considered, that, that means something. It means they're considering all things. And it just dawned on me. It's like, wow, this is actually describing something and not just a random name, like Morning Edition. And then I was like, oh my gosh, National Public Radio. It's public radio for the nation. <laughs> but I have this, this distinct awareness of that moment, that, that aha moment. And I say that because I think all of us have language we use on a regular basis that we don't fully understand. And yet we still use it. We still, we still do that. There are different levels of understanding. Sometimes we admit to things. Sometimes we, we see things and we say things we don't quite understand, and yet we still do them. I think marriage is the best example of this. When two people... Okay. <laughs> funnier than I thought it would be. When two people are, are married, they don't really understand what is going on. <laughs> I mean, as a, I've, I've counseled people for marriage. I tried to prepare them for this decision. Um, some for the vows they're about to take. Some people have an idea of what they think better is going to be. Some people have an idea of what they think worse is going to be, but I guarantee it's going to be very different than what you expect it to be. My, um, my, one of my teachers used to say that, that you never marry the right person because you have no idea who they're going to be in 10 years. You, can't, you, don't, know, you don't know who you're going to be in 10 years. And so it's always an act of faith in entering into something you do not fully understand. Yet when people are married, just because they don't fully understand it doesn't mean those vows are false or the act itself is false. My friends, we are continuing in today with our series on the Holy Spirit. This is the culmination of, of the last four weeks on this Trinity Sunday. Four weeks ago, we began this series talking about the Holy Spirit as the preparer, as the one who comes before, who prepares our heart to receive grace. Three weeks ago, or two weeks ago, my mouth is off. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit as the comforter, as the one who is present with us when we feel alone, when we are anxious, when we are in need, when we need to be reminded that we are loved, when we need to be reminded that we are forgiven. Last week on Pentecost, I spoke about the Holy Spirit as the advocate, the one who stands with us, but also for us. And today we're going to finish this series by talking about how the Holy Spirit is nothing less than God. The advocate is not a representative of God. The advocate is God. The preparer is not an angel or a messenger from God. The preparer is God. The comforter is not a metaphor for God. The comforter is God. 
But rather than a language we must learn, the Trinity is more like love. It is something in which we participate in without fully understanding what is going on. The love of a child for a parent or a parent for a child goes beyond our understanding. We can have an evolutionary rationalization for it. We can, we can look and say, okay, you know, parents are supposed to protect their young. They have a genetic disposition to that because then the species survives. But that does not describe my love for my sons or, or my love for my parents or our relationship. It's not that this, like my parents did not protect me because they wanted the species to survive. That does not, there's so much more going on. And this relationship, my bond of, of, of Ephraim squeezing my hand as we put uh, pink eye drops in his eyes and desiring to be comforted is not found in this bond of, okay, you will protect me until I can go out into the wild. There's something more going on there. Love is central and key to our understanding of the Holy Spirit. My favorite illustration of the Trinity is the lover being the fa- God the Father who brings all creation into being, the beloved being God the Son through which all things came into being, and the Holy Spirit being the love between the Father and the Son. Or another way, as, as Herbert McCabe says, God the eternal parent, God the eternal child, and God the eternal joy between them. And all of these illustrations, all of these analogies break down, but we see in this description something essential to why we believe that the Holy Spirit is God. That it is not just because it is written in a book or taught in confirmation classes or seminaries, but because it describes how we experience God to be. How we experience God as truly being found in the love between neighbors, in the love between friends, in the amazing possibility of love between enemies, and reconciliation, those moments that can only be because God is truly present. In the Gospel for John today, we see the story of Nicodemus. It is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. We have Nicodemus, the Pharisee, taking Jesus literally. He's excited to look at the literal words of Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, you must be born from above, you must be born of the Spirit, Nicodemus is sitting there thinking, okay, if I must be born, I know one way of being born. And he's going with that. And he says, you know, should I enter my mother's stomach again? That's the Greek. He's he's trying to be clear. He's like, okay, Jesus, I got you. I'm trying to follow you. Is this what I need to do? Because I'm willing to go to crazy lengths. And Jesus says, no, you are missing the point. You are missing the point when you're fixating on this one word and not seeing how it all fits together. We must be ready for the change that happens when love enters our life. That is what Jesus is pointing to by being born again of the Spirit. Change is going to happen. This change happens that we call conversion. The change when our life is going one direction. And then it turns around. And that miraculous turning, that miraculous turning that we could not have predicted is only understandable by grace. A life of self-destruction, a life of pride and indifference that turns around. We are all, my friends, little Nicodemi. That's the plural of Nicodemus. (laughs) We're all Nicodemi coming to Jesus in the night with these little questions. 
Any of us who have ever called Jesus Lord have had these little questions, these little clarifications that we want to just make, make sure we have it right. You sit, you know, we know you say this, Jesus, but do you really mean it? You know, you tell me to love my enemy, but do you really mean it? Have you met my enemy, Jesus? You know, Jesus, you tell me to give to the poor, but do you really mean it? I really like my stuff. I want to keep my stuff. Do you know it's hard sometimes to do the things you ask of me, Jesus? Do you understand that, Jesus? Was the picture there, Tori? Okay, so this is one of my favorite pictures. This is um, from the set of The Passion of the Christ. And so it's Jim Caviezel in all his, his gory Jesus makeup. And there's Mel Gibson, not a great guy, but the director. And he's explaining. And so uh, the caption is usually, this is me explaining how hard my life is to Jesus. <laughs> And, and, I, and I love it. And I think that so what I think of, especially as little Nicodemi, we come to God fixated on what we are struggling with on the surface without seeing the big picture, without seeing how God's part in the picture. You can go to the next slide. We don't need to keep the blood up there all the time. <laughs> how do we see that big picture? I think that's an important question for us to ask, that we may intellectually be like, okay, I want to see something more. I want to see something bigger. I don't want to be fixated on my own struggles? How do we see that the sacrifice of Jesus is for us? That, my friends, is through the Holy Spirit that God is with us. Heaven and earth are conjoined through the Spirit. That's what we read in that passage from Isaiah. The famous, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, that we say every time we we perform the Eucharist together and celebrate At the Lord's table, we sing together, holy, holy, holy. That's what the angels are singing. Heaven and earth are conjoined by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is what draws the heaven and the earth together and makes the possibility of reconciliation. The possibility of friendship and love available to us. This is what we are opening up when we talk about the Holy Spirit is God. That this preparer, this comforter, this advocate is also co-equal with the Father and the Son. God is here with us. And the consequence of believing that the Holy Spirit is God is not just this one-time awareness. It's not just this one-time understanding like when I was 10 and I realized all things considered meant all things were being considered. I kind of stopped thinking about it at that time. But when we realize that God God the Spirit is co-equal with God the Father and the Son, it doesn't stop there. Faith is not a one-time decision that we never need to look at again. In the Wesleyan tradition, we believe in a continuum of grace. We believe that there's the grace that comes before, we call provenient grace. The grace that comes before and prepares our hearts for life with God. That grace that is present with us before we can even say the words God. We believe in the grace that turns our life around, that makes us right with our neighbor and with God. That's called justifying grace. But we don't stop there. Grace does not stop there when we are justified but continues to make us holy the grace that continually shapes us and conforms us to what we were created to be we call that sanctifying grace the grace that allows us to be holy and holy is a word that can be thrown around in a lot of disparaging ways and can be used to judge other people and that's not the way that is being used here holiness is not about being absent mistakes in the words of saint augustine Holiness is the grace that lets us love what deserves to be loved. 
Let's just love what deserves to be loved. That is true holiness. This is what we are being prepared for by living the Christian faith, by becoming disciples of Christ, by having our heart set on Christ. We are learning how to love what deserves to be loved. Love and desire are a part of all human interactions. We always do what we think is good, whether or not it actually is good. The fact that we do it is our desire telling us that it is something good that we should do. If we look at how we spend our time, we will see what we desire to be good. If we look through our week, if we look through the 24 hours of our day, we'll be able to see what we value, what matters to us. Some of us don't like to think about it. Some of us are in positions where we may not have a lot of choices about how we spend our time or what we do, or we may not be in the place we think we need to be. And how frustrating that is. We long to be in a different place. We long and think that if only this happened, if only I had time for this, if only I had time for that, then my life would be better. Instead of looking at what we are desiring in the spaces we actually occupy. As well, we see this when we look at our personal budgets. Yes, the Holy Spirit has to do with our budgets as well. The fact that God is with us means God is with us all the way. There is not a space we need to hide. And in fact, that desire to hide from God, that desire to fragment off our life into places that are for God and places that are not for God, is in fact pushing away the power of the transformation of love in our life. We see when we look at our own individual budgets, when we look at how we spend our money, where we don't spend our money. We see when we look at where we are generous and where we are scarce where we practice a philosophy of generosity or a philosophy of scarcity, a philosophy of hope or of fear. Because the Holy Spirit is God, because God is Father, Son, and Spirit, there are consequences for how we are to live our lives, not in the sense of guilt or fear in what we are doing or how we are falling short of the expectations for us, but in the possibility that you, even you, and I, even I, are deserving of love. That the relationships that I have made in this life can be sanctified. That we can have true friendship with each other. That we can have true fellowship with each other. That we can be a household of God. That we can be a place of grace following that fire of the spirits that happened on Aldersgate Road in London on May 24th, 1738. And so the question for us is how large a space do you have in your heart for the Holy Spirit? How large a space do you have in your heart for that fire of Pentecost to catch on you? How large a space do you have for the Holy Spirit to start something new in you? The Trinity is not about big words or complex ideas. It is about who you are and whose you are. You are a beloved child of God. In loving our neighbor and loving our Lord, God is with us. God is with us. God is not a part as a puppet master, pulling our strings, putting us into situations, controlling everyone else in our life. God is present deeply, the one in whom we live, move, and have our being. And in the midst of the brokenness of this world, in the midst of the tragedy, of the horror that we see, there is a light. There is a light that we can hold on to. So let us turn to our Lord. 
Let us become more of what we can be and show this world the possibilities of love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.